Hello, I'm Anthony William, and you're listening to the Medical Medium Radio Show, where each week I talk about the most advanced healing information secrets about health, much of which is not found anywhere else in his decades ahead of what's out there now. In fact, today's show is that very thing. <laughs> We're going to talk about Epstein Bar. We're going to talk about everything about it, information that doesn't exist anywhere else, and you're not going to hear it anywhere else. It's not in any books. It's not on the Internet. You're not going to hear it from any other person or expert. And that's what we're doing today. We need information that's 10, 20, 30 years ahead of the times in order to get better because who has 10 years to wait, you know, for answers? We don't really. I mean, I know people have gone through where their, their grandmother has gone through all these different waves of illness and chronic illness. No answers at all ever, just living with it and then... You know, and then it goes down to the mother having it and then the daughter having it and then even even farther back, great grandmother. And, you know, we don't have just this kind of time to throw away. You know, life is precious and it means everything and our health means everything. And this is a big show today. Um, this means a lot what we got to cover today. Today's show is about Epstein-Barr virus revealed Meet Epstein-Barr virus, one of the biggest mystery illnesses causing millions of people to suffer today. Epstein-Barr is secretly behind debilitating conditions such as fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, all the different varieties of chronic fatigue syndrome that we have, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, thyroid disorders such as Hashimoto's, and much more. Join me today. Don't miss this show. If you just tuned in, stay with it because I'm going to reveal the historic truth about Epstein-Barr virus in this episode. And I, and I say that historic truth that no one knows. It's that important today. A little bit about me since the age of four. Woke up one morning, heard a voice, and it was what I call spirit. This voice has been with me my whole life. At age four, I diagnosed my grandmother of lung cancer. And uh, weeks later, they brought her in, and she had lung cancer. So the gift started there. And for the rest of my life, I've dedicated everything to getting people answers so they knew what was going on. I've helped tens of thousands of people recover their health, reclaim their health, understand their illnesses, and, re and gain control and move forward and heal it's been my life's purpose. It's my life journey. I know everybody has a life purpose and journey. We all do magical, special things every single day in our lives. And so I support your gift. Thank you for supporting mine by being here and listening to the show. It's, it's just so important. Um, so let's get started. Um, you can see I'm, you know, I'm trying to get through things the, the, you know, at the beginning as quick as I can almost because... I want to make sure we get everything we can out of this show. Uh, this is so important. Um, let's take a look here and see what's happening. What you're going to hear today about Epstein-Barr, it could be even shocking. And it could be more than just shocking in this sense because it could be, it's real, it's revelational. It is, you know, it can really wake up the mind and wake up the body unlike other, because if you're dealing with symptoms and you're dealing with illness and you're dealing with conditions and you're not getting answers and you got fatigue and all these different things, hearing the truth about what's going on could be pretty heavy. And so with that, I want you to just relax, get a cup of tea, get a cup of herbal tea, of course, 
<laughs> and relax and listen to the show. You know, if you got a notepad or whatever, take notes. But what, what I recommend is going back to the show in the archives because we're going to cover a lot of information. I'm going to drop a lot of information down on everybody. And so you might want to go back to this archive for sure. And because we're going to run over a lot of things, and you may miss something and, and you want to get every bit of it. It's that important. So I'm preparing you. Um, so when it comes down to healing, especially healing with Epstein-Barr, knowing the truth, knowing the cause is half the battle to healing. It's why people don't heal so easily. It's why so many people have chronic illness and don't have answers. And basically what happens is that if we don't have answers, if we don't know what's going on, how is the healing going to start? See, that's half the battle. That's half of how it happens. The other half is knowing what to do, having answers on what to do, what to address, how to address, for example, Epstein-Barr. And we're going to cover that. So it's about knowing what's wrong. That's half the battle. Knowing what to do to fix it, to heal, to move forward. This is a big part of it all. And that's why also why we're doing this show. So to understand Epstein-Barr virus, we have to hop into our time machine and set it for 1890. Yeah, I, I said it, 1890. That's what year we're going to. So let's, let's get ready and, you know, put the seatbelts on for this. At this time in history, a harmless virus that was herpetic in nature, so herpetic, meaning like herpes, herpetic in nature, was redefining itself due to antibiotic experimentation. This is antibiotic use before 1928. Did you hear about the 1928 thing where penicillin was born? That's when it was discovered, and it was a huge discovery, penicillin. It saved a lot of lives. It was definitely an amazing, it's an amazing discovery in health history till today. And so, but right prior to that, there was also other types of antibiotics being used. Yes, you won't see that on the internet. You can look, you may not find that. Different forms of antibiotics. And this is the earlier renditions of penicillin being used to treat various bacteria. This was an amazing discovery, like I said before, and it's helped so many other people. But at the same time, this harmless, common, herpetic, natured virus, which we named later Epstein-Barr, was developing an intelligence and learning how to cope and maneuver around pre-antibiotics, pre-time antibiotics. And it began to use this early source of antibiotics as a food source. Now, this wouldn't have been a big concern, really, or a big deal if there wasn't another factor contributing, another factor occurring at the same time in the same era back in the late 1800s. And this was early pesticide, herbicide, and fungicide use and development. And you may say, you may be someone that knows about pesticides and say, well, Anthony, that's not true because pesticides really started in the late 30s. And, you know, during the war machine, during, you know, that World War II where all the chemicals were made and all the pesticides were made and the DDT. But there were pesticides before this time period, before this time period. 
and they were being developed in the late 1800s, early 1900s. They were made up of arsenic and lead. What they were were arsenic sprays, arsenic water, arsenic spray, arsenic and lead vapor, okay? And this was fairly a fairly new exposure in our day and age to us and our immune systems. And it was on our food supply everywhere. So you know how you go and get organic food because you don't want the pesticides today, all the synthetic pesticides and everything? Well, back then, back before in the 1890s and right around 1900, there were sprays on everybody's food. And nobody really even knew anything about the difference between organic or conventional because synthetic sprays weren't even invented yet to differentiate that. This is serious. This is something to understand here. It's an important fact of what we're going to, what we're talking about. So instead, there was these arsenic sprays, and it was on everything. It was laced on all this food. And everyone had a big container, a big container of it at home with a hand pump, you know, those antique, you know, bug killer pumps on, and it would spray a vapor of arsenic and lead mist, okay? All of your plants, all of your garden plants, all the fields that were again, growing produce had this stuff. The stuff was also being, you know, sprayed in all kinds of different ways, this common herpetic virus, we call Epstein-Barr now, this common docile, easygoing virus, learned how to use toxic heavy metals such as arsenic and lead as its fuel. It became fuel for this virus. Basically, the Industrial Revolution was fueling and creating Epstein-Barr virus, the redevelopment of Epstein-Barr virus. What I'm trying to say is Epstein-Barr was beginning to redefine itself and mutate by thriving on these toxic heavy metals, including early antibiotics that were even pre-1928, the penicillin age, which also had heavy metals in them to begin with. And that's how things were established. So, so we have to know this. So by 1900, Epstein-Barr had established itself and had a hunger for arsenic, lead, and some mercury. And at this time, our food supply was covered, like I said, in early pesticide use of this, compromised with all this, <clears throat> comprised of all this arsenic and lead. So when we would eat our food, the arsenic and lead would quickly absorb, get ready, get ready for this, it would quickly absorb into our thyroids, into our thyroids. So as you would eat this food that was everything was laced in arsenic at this time period, understand this. This is serious stuff. It, when it would enter your mouth, the arsenic would absorb into your cells of your mouth and travel. So when you were swallowing, it would absorb right into your throat as you were swallowing, and it would then absorb into your thyroid, and your thyroid would fill up with arsenic and lead and even some mercury. The Epstein-Barr virus would adapt and start to search for its food and travel. When I mean be food, Epstein-Barr would feed off of arsenic and lead. Remember that. It would travel and start to adapt and learn how to adapt in the body. And it started mutating. Back in that day, it would travel for that arsenic and that lead. And guess where it would find its way? Guess where it would go to? Are you guessing what I'm thinking you are? The thyroid. And invading the thyroid, causing, you know what I'm talking about, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Now, this label 
this condition of Hashimoto thyroiditis was discovered, meaning the label was dis- was created in 1912. 1912. See, no one knew what caused Hashimoto's thyroiditis. They still don't know today. I've spent decades trying to teach people that it's caused by Epstein-Barr virus, and it's just starting to surface now out there. And any place you hear it or see it, it originally sources from me. I'm just being straightforward about that one. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Because I'm the one that only knew that because of spirit for decades now and been trying to get that information out there. So now when Epstein-Barr virus, when the Epstein-Barr gets into the thyroid, this is stage three of Epstein-Barr. So you have to understand this. This is stage three of Epstein-Barr. So that means when it entered into somebody's thyroid in 1912, in the early 1900s, this was stage three of having Epstein-Barr. Now, we're going to talk about Epstein-Barr stages. Epstein-Barr has four stages. Stage one of Epstein-Barr is when the virus is in the body, but it's in a dormancy incubation period. It's incubating. It's waiting for an opportunity, like when we get really run down, or we get deficient, or we got stressed out, or we're intoxicated with some kind of poisons or whatever it may be, or we have emotional hardships, and then, boom, rheumatic fever occurs. Yes, rheumatic fever. Guess what rheumatic fever is? No one realizes this in the medical industry. Rheumatic fever is Epstein-Barr. It's mononucleosis. It's a variety of mononucleosis. And now it's diagnosed as mononucleosis. Used to be diagnosed as rheumatic fever. And it's also diagnosed as glandular fever. In fact, all the way back, back in those days, when Epstein-Barr would hit stage two and turn into mononucleosis, It was called glandular fever. It's still called glandular fever in different parts of the world. The infamous kissing disease we're taught about is called glandular fever, rheumatic rheumatic fever, and mononucleosis. And so this is important to know. The virus, um, once again, after that period, goes and waits into a dormancy period. This could take a month, this could take years, this could take decades, depending on what's going on in the person. And it's and this happens before it goes to stage three. Remember I told you I jumped ahead earlier because I had to, because 1912 they discovered thyroiditis. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is stage three. So when the virus comes out of dormancy again, which could take a month or a year or a decade or more, or two decades, or even longer, it can turn into Hashimoto's thyroiditis or hypothyroidism. And it depends on so many variables. The person's immune system, what is happening in their lives. I've seen children get mono at age five or six or seven years old, and then they get Hashimoto's at 16 years of age, 17 years of age, or 18 years of age. They get Hashimoto's that early. That means they had mono before that. This is not understood on any level in our medical field right now. So what you're hearing is groundbreaking information that doesn't exist out there. But back in the old days, in the early 1900s, we're going back now, 
it normally took longer before there were only because there were only a few varieties of Epstein Barr. What I mean is it took longer for Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It took longer for the next phase or the next stage of Epstein Barr because there were only a few varieties of Epstein Barr in that time, which leads me to the next bit of information to understand is there are over 60 varieties of Epstein Barr today. Our medical model has no clue about this. Some are docile, some are timid. So some varieties of Epstein Barr are docile, some varieties of Epstein Barr are timid, and some are more aggressive. So going back to the old days, early to mid 1900s, it took most people, especially women, to get to the age of 40, get to the age of 45, get to the age of 50, before they experienced a set of symptoms that eluded the medical world even up to today. So understand the importance of this. This is, this is amazing. If you got Epstein-Barr and you were born around the time of 1900 or 1890 or 1895 or 1903, and right around the age 40, the virus would go into the next set of phases, right around 40, 45, 50 years old. Every person was different because of different circumstances and different situations. But at that time, there weren't a lot of varieties of Epstein-Barr, so they were all similar. There only were a few at that time that mutated at that early time. So there was a whole like crowd, a whole vast sea of women that experienced Epstein-Barr symptoms out of nowhere on the turn of around 1950, right around 1945 to 1950. And it stormed the medical world. These symptoms that all the women were faced with, and these might be familiar, okay? So, you know, match them up to yours if you want to. That's the, You know, it's important to know this is important. But the symptoms were the next phase of Epstein-Barr, which is called stage four Epstein-Barr. That's what this is. So that that's what all these symptoms were about to go into. It's stage four Epstein-Barr. So it took a long time for these few varieties of Epstein-Barr for women to get, you know, that were born at 1900 or, like I said, 1895. And by the time they turned 40, 45, 50 years old, they had tingles and numbness. Do you know about the tingles and numbness? They had aches and pains, joint swelling, vertigo and dizziness, tinnitus ringing in the ears, buzzing in the ears, hot flashes. Yeah, hot flashes. That's important to understand because we're about to cover that next. Heart palpitations. Are you getting heart palpitations? Night sweats, brain fog, depression, anxiety, burning feelings, burning, you know, pins and needles or burning in various parts of the body, which we call neuropathy now which is another kind of like, hey, we don't know what's wrong with anybody, but let's put another label to it. Blurry eyes, migraines, loss of libido, head pains in the back of the neck, back of the head, weight gain, unexplained weight gain, edema, swelling and edema, lymphedema, swelling ankles, unexplained, swelling knees when you get hit, the knees get hit and they swell too long and they stay swollen for years vibrating feelings inside the body, confusion, roving and moving body pain, 
See, by 1950, women were feeling the first round of stage four Epstein-Barr symptoms ever in history, ever in history. And no one's talking about it. No one's talking about it, but right here at this show. And this is why you have to stay tuned in to these show these shows, because I got to pour my heart out. I got to give you everything I got so you have a chance to take the information, heal, you know, spread the information around, because it's so critical to know. And women were told in this time period that it was all in their heads. And they were told they were crazy. This was the moment in time right around the 1945-1950 period when this wave of symptoms from Epstein-Barr crashed the scene. Women were told by every single medical institution there was that they were lazy, that their fatigue was because they were lazy, because they were bored, because they were crazy. They even entered it into some medical, medical books where they called it crazy women syndrome. That's how they dealt with it. And that lasted. That's still kind of floating around a little bit. It's, it's died out because we put labels now on sets of symptoms. So, the, so before these labels, all these new labels came about, before that started happening in the, in the 19, late 1980s, yes, in the late 1980s, it took that long. In the 1990s, before we started getting actually names for these conditions, you were just insane. That's what happened when you had all the symptoms I mentioned, when you were fatigued, had tingles and numbness, vertigo, dizziness, ringing in the ears, hot flashes, heart palpitations, brain fog, depression, anxiety, burning in various parts of the body, blurry eyes, migraines, aches and pains, swelling. These are all stage four symptoms of Epstein-Barr, and we were told we were insane at that time period. Okay? The, the pushback occurred. Women had enough at that point. Hitting the mid-50s, after five to seven years to the late 50s, women had enough. And the pushback was just enormous. And basically what happened after that, the symptoms of the medical field, that they, the, all the symptoms that women were experiencing, the medical field put a big blame on one thing. You know what I'm talking about. Someone out there knows what I'm talking about. That was the birth of the hormone movement. That was when it was all hormonal. It's actually hormones. And they were still saying, you're still crazy to have these symptoms because there's nothing wrong with, you know, everybody they were looking at. So when they were doing, you know, physical exams, they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. We don't know why you have tingles and numbness. So you're either crazy or it's hormonal. We still get that today where we're told it's hormonal now. To, and that's what's happening. And so hormones, the hormone movement their hormone replacement era was born in the late 50s because of stage four Epstein-Barr. Women didn't suffer from the symptoms ever before in the past, ever, any time they hit menopause, ever in history, were they suffering from these symptoms. It wasn't, it was never there because it was never, it was never hormonal. See, it was Epstein-Barr stage four. Now, decades later, women of all ages get the symptoms, get all the symptoms I just mentioned. So when they're younger, they're not told it's hormones. They're, but they're starting to now because still to this day, people don't know why we're getting these symptoms. So they're still kind of saying, well, now you're 30 years old, maybe you have hormonal problems, and maybe that's creating all these symptoms of fatigue, all these symptoms of brain fog, blurry eyes, you know, everything, uh, heart palpitations, tingles and numbness. So even younger women and men, 
some men are being told it's it's a hormone problem. And if that's not good enough, then it's off to the Lyme disease doctor. You can listen to my Lyme disease show if you want a little taste of the whole Lyme truth. And so that's what's happening today. Now, we'll go back a little bit now. Now, now back by 1964, two brilliant virologists discovered a virus that was responsible for mononucleosis, rheumatic fever, but mononucleosis, glandular fever, and they singled it out and named it Epstein-Barr virus after the doctors. And that was an amazing discovery. It really was. And that goes to show you what we can do with the doctors that are out there. The problem is the funding dropped, and that was the bottom line. Funding was over. It's a dead topic. See you later. And that's what happens in chronic illness, though. That's the whole point. That's what happens all the time. Now, what medical research and science has done to acknowledge Epstein-Barr symptoms, meaning without knowing Epstein-Barr causes any of these symptoms, is they put labels now on these sets of symptoms. So the medical world doesn't realize that this is Epstein-Barr related, but they put names on sets of symptoms now that everybody has. And that's fibromyalgia. What, what causes it? Uh, nobody knows. <laughs> but it's Epstein-Barr. That's stage four, Epstein-Barr. Multiple sclerosis. Still don't know the cause. It's a mystery illness. Epstein-Barr. Different varieties of Epstein-Barr cause, cause MS. Now, there's over 60 varieties, like I said. Chronic fatigue syndrome, which has various names now, such as MECFS, okay? Also, systemic exertion intolerance disease. These are still just a way of saying, yes, your tiredness is real. So thank God we have labels, at least, to say, hey, your symptoms are real, but we're nowhere closer to understanding what's causing this and knowing that it's over 60 varieties of Epstein-Barr causing these sets of these labels, these sets of symptoms. So, and it goes on past then. RA, rheumatoid arthritis, that's another one. So, you know, when children get RA, it's stage four Epstein-Barr, but early on, early on in their lives because there's different varieties. They've mutated and they become a little bit more aggressive and kids get different stages early on. Doesn't mean everybody can't heal. Anyone can heal. And there's ways of doing about it. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to get to that. Menopause. That's a label. See, menopause really is just supposed to be menstruation stopping, the cycle stopping. That's all it's supposed to be. In fact, before 1950, women felt great after their cycle stopped. They felt great. It was looked forward to in history, meaning in, past, in the past, women looked forward to that stopping. It meant they felt better, more energy than ever before. No symptoms would occur. And But now we label your set of symptoms. Everybody sets the symptoms as menopause. Depression, we use that label too. When we're depressed, instead of knowing the root cause of someone's depression, we throw a label. Anxiety, lupus. That's caused by Epstein-Barr, and that's another one. And, of course, many cases of Lyme disease. These labeled conditions, plus many more, are caused by over 60 varieties of Epstein-Barr and in different stages of the virus, including Hashimoto's thyroiditis, like we talked about before, hepatitis C, 
is not a hepatitis virus. It's a condition of the liver caused by a variety of Epstein-Barr. They still don't know this in medical history. Medical research, medical science isn't even caught up to that. You know, I always say, I'm going to (laughs) die, come back in another lifetime. They're still not going to know. Die one more time, come back in another lifetime, and it's possible they still won't know. You know, and it's, it's nobody's fault. It's nobody's fault. But that's the slowness of it all. That's the slowness of, of everything. So hepatitis C is caused by Epstein-Barr. That's different than hepatitis B. Hepatitis C is, is Epstein-Barr. Glaucoma, you know, the eye illness, the eye condition, glaucoma, that's caused by a variety of Epstein-Barr. And certain cancers, specifically breast cancer, is caused by Epstein-Barr viruses. So all this is important to know. This is the part of the epidemic we live in today. Now, it, it does matter to know this information. It's not because, you know, knowing it makes things more scary. That's not it at all. You gain control knowing the truth. You don't want the truth avoided or you don't want it hidden away. You don't want it being a mystery because that's when all this stuff is tougher on us is when it's a mystery and nobody knows and we're never getting validation and we're going to doctor, doctor, you get 50 doctors going to different people and you're traveling across the country, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's more damaging than knowing the truth and knowing how to recover and heal. You see, that's that's how it works. See, you don't have to, there's a couple of things to know. You don't have to Remember having mono in order to have Epstein-Barr in the system. Some people have bad cases of mononucleosis, so they remember it specifically, but some people have had a sore throat and a scratchy throat for a week, and that's all they had, and it went away. It went into a dormancy. So let's talk about Epstein-Barr testing. When you go to the doctor and you get tested for Epstein-Barr, they only care about present infection, which is mononucleosis. They only care about present infection. Now, what the medical research and medical science and doctors don't know right now is that past infection Epstein-Barr, meaning knowing that you had it in the past, still means it could be doing something and creating your symptoms. So it's completely ignored. So when you go to the doctor and you say, I got this problem and I got this and I, you know, I got tingles and I got twitches and I got all these, you know, different things going on and I got, um, you know, and I got fatigue and I can't function. And they do a test, and they say, oh, everything looks okay. It looks like you had Epstein-Barr, but that shouldn't be your problem because you don't have it now. That's not true. They haven't developed the proper testing to see that it's in the organs and that it's also affecting the nervous system. They don't have this technology yet. We still don't have a lot of technology in chronic illness. How do I know that? There's 200 million sick people in the U.S. alone with symptoms that are mystery illness. That's how I know that. (laughs) We don't have the technology or the understanding yet. You know, this is, you know, I'm passionate about this because this is about everything, about you getting better. It means the world. So when you have stage four Epstein-Barr and all the symptoms around it, the doctor can't find Epstein-Barr actively in the bloodstream, so they dismiss it. It's one of the mistakes. This is one of the greatest medical blunders of our time. We'll talk about some of the symptoms of Epstein-Barr. Epstein-Barr is herpetic, so it's in the herpes family. This is the one family, the only family of bugs that release a neurotoxin that aggravates the nervous system, causing tingles and numbness. 
See, this neurotoxin is basically an excrement that comes out of the virus after the virus feeds off of heavy metals, feeds off of foods like eggs, like I talk about. If you're if you're someone who's not feeling good and you got all kinds of different symptoms, make sure you're not eating eggs because eggs will feed a bug like Epstein-Barr. So this neurotoxin can create a lot of different symptoms, can create tingles and numbness and many other different symptoms around that. Brain fog can create um, aches and pains. And so this neurotoxin also creates food allergies. People say, well, how can I have a food allergy now? How could that have happened? I never had it before. Why am I developing food allergy? I went to the doctor, to the, you know, the integrative doctor. I went to the uh, functional medicine doctor. I got all these food allergies and sensitivities now. That's from having a higher degree of this byproduct, these neurotoxins from Epstein-Barr. It creates chemical sensitivities. It creates food at food sensitivities. Epstein-Barr creates a lot of byproduct and debris and garbage, and this builds up in the liver, causes a stagnant, sluggish liver, and gets the heart to even have a heart palpitation because all that byproduct from the liver goes up to the heart and trips up the mitral valve, creating heart palpitations. These, these are the mystery heart palps that no one understands out there. And it's the sticky residue that builds up in the mitral valve. This is from the byproduct. EBV, Epstein-Barr, raises inflammation markers with this byproduct it produces. It raises inflammation markers, causing the CRP. So when you get the CRP, C-reactive protein test, and it's showing that you, you got an elevation, no one realizes it. It's from byproduct from Epstein-Barr. Same thing with the anti-nuclear antigen test, the ANA test. This is inflammation levels that rise because of toxins released in neurotoxins and byproduct from Epstein-Barr. So guess what? You end up getting a lupus diagnosis. That's how far off we are. We're that far off in medicine. We're that far off. So we get the whole lupus thing. And, and that's because someone's getting sensitive and they're getting the chemical sensitivities and they're getting all the symptoms based around it. This byproduct raises homocysteine levels. Were you told you have an MTHFR gene mutation at all? So when you go to the practitioner and you're told you, you know, you're having that gene mutation, some people have three mutations, some people have you know, four mutations, two mutations, right? So when you, that's because of Epstein-Barr byproduct. It's from having Epstein-Barr in the system for a long time in your life. And it builds up a tremendous amount of byproduct and excrement. It releases all these toxins, including neurotoxins. So it raises homocysteine levels, and it sets off the faulty MTHFR gene mutation test. And creates a, But it does create a true methylation issue at the same time. So there is a methylation issue that that does occur from having Epstein-Barr. So there's like they're almost there with that one. Epstein-Barr can make a liver really sluggish, causing weak digestion and breaking down hydrochloric acid. And Epstein-Barr can, can trigger off false positives on a Lyme test. That's when your Lyme test comes back borderline. Why is it borderline? You either have Lyme or you don't. You can go, you can listen to the Lyme show on that for sure, because I can't go into Lyme, like crazy into Lyme right now and deep into it but it can trigger off your Lyme titers for everything. It could literally mask as Bartonella, Babesia, Borrelia. That's what Epstein-Barr has the power to do. Not in everybody, depending on how long you've had it, what variety you have, 
So it's important to understand these things. And and anyone listening to this, I'm not saying that Bartonella doesn't exist. I'm not saying Lyme, you know, uh, bacteria such as Bor- you know, Borrelia, you know, Babesia, the parasite Babesia doesn't exist. I'm not saying that. So you you know, don't get thrown by this right now if you if this is the first time hearing one of my shows. But EBV Epstein Barr is responsible for hundreds of thousands of people's tonsils coming out. You know the whole tonsil thing when they're plucking them like apples forever back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and we're still plucking them out? That's from mono, undiagnosed mono, because mono is elusive. You can have mononucleosis, Epstein-Barr is elusive. You can have it once early on in your childhood. They won't re-diagnose it or they won't diagnose it at all after that. It can mask as tonsillitis. It's another thing it does. So they're just pulling tonsils out for decades without realizing what's creating tonsillitis. See how important the show is, <laughs> this episode? I mean, it's really that important. And, you know, Epstein-Barr tends to create problems with soreness, aches and pains, fatigue after the body gets jolted. So, if I, you know, lots of people, they get into small car accidents or they have, a, they have some trauma. And they and and their body's physically fine after, or they recover from the trauma part, but yet they have new aches and pains that are unexplainable by doctors and and, and by medical research and science. And you start getting fibromyalgia, and you start getting inflamed. This is from Epstein Barr. Tinnitus, ringing in the ears, is caused by the labyrinth of the inside of the ear, getting inflamed by Epstein Barr's neurotoxins. You go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor, they're not going to figure that one out. That's going to take 30 years from now. It's caused by a neurotoxin. That's what causes that ringing in the ear. Unless you damage your nerve your nerve in the ear by listening to, you know, concerts, rock concerts your whole life or something crazy like that, or you worked in a machine shop or something, then that's a little different. But this is, this is the common ringing in the ears caused by Epstein-Barr, that I was saying previously. Dizziness, vertigo, that's the vagus nerve that runs through the chest, that makes the chest feel tight. That vagus nerve gets inflamed by neurotoxins from Epstein-Barr, causing vertigo, bouts of vertigo, bed spins, head spins, dizziness, balance issues that are unexplainable by the medical world when you go to the doctor. This is caused by Epstein-Barr. Then there's headaches, back of the head. Neck aches, back of the neck, caused by phrenic nerves, phrenic nerves that run up through the chest, up through the neck. They get inflamed from the neurotoxin Epstein-Barr. Epstein-Barr has a friend in crime called streptococcus. It's a bacteria strep. That's when you get strep throat. That's when you have strep. That's when women are about to have a baby, so the doctor checks for vaginal strep. Strep is everywhere. In our bodies, it's a cofactor to Epstein-Barr, causes a lot of the bladder problems. Streptococcal is responsible for interstitial cystitis, which is technically kind of caused by Epstein-Barr because it's its cofactor. So that that alone has to be uncovered someday, and you're only going to hear it here at this show, at the Medical Medium Show. So, and that could lead to you know, bladder leaking, burning without a proper diagnosis and, and many other kinds of things, bladder spasms. So basically the bottom line is we're going to get through the show today. <laughs> we're gonna, I know I'm going a little fast. That's why you have to, you have to go to the archives on this one. You have to listen to the show again 
Look, a big part of all of this is so you can you can know what's bugging you, causing your pain and gaining control over it and healing and moving forward. It's about knocking the viral load slowly down and restoring your nervous system, restoring your health, breaking down that viral load so you can gain control over your health. This is what it's about. If you had symptoms for years in your life, it may take a little while. You got to be patient. It's three steps up, two steps back, three steps up, two steps back. That's how it is. You start feeling better a month later, and you start feeling a little better better another month later, and you keep on climbing that ladder and climbing that ladder until you look back a year or whatever it is, depending on how long you've been sick with all these different symptoms, you look back and you see how much better you are. I've watched a lot of people get their lives back. I've helped them get their lives back with Epstein-Barr. And so you can recover. Let's talk about foods. Let's talk about um, what kind of foods are great. Wild blueberries flushes out the neurotoxin right out of the liver. Wild blueberries are incredible for Epstein-Barr. You have them in every day. Celery. Remember the celery juice thing? Strengthens the hydrochloric acid, provides mineral salts at the same time, builds up that HCL, provides mineral salts for the brain, helps with brain fog, helps recover you from Epstein-Barr. Sprouts, they strengthen you from Epstein-Barr too. Sprouts are actually antiviral with Epstein-Barr. Asparagus strengthens everything, cleanses the liver, pulls Epstein-Barr toxins out. That you know, But how many people eat, eat enough asparagus? Spinach helps remove Epstein-Barr. How does it do that? It cleanses out the Epstein-Barr toxins, the overload of Epstein-Barr toxins, cleanses the colon too. Apricots, another great one for rebuilding the nervous system. Cilantro removes heavy metals, which feed Epstein-Barr. So you want cilantro in all the time. You have to remember, say, hey, look, if, if it's been a week since you've had cilantro, that's not going to help. That's not going to help. So you have to know that this... You have to at least do some of these things. You know, you don't have to do all of them. It's Life is overwhelming. There's a lot going on. You just get some of them in. Cilantro is one of it. One of the things we need in. It grabs on the heavy metals, which robs food away from Epstein-Barr. That's how you heal. Parsley, that's another one that robs metal from Epstein-Barr. It does remove some metal, but it also pushes out Epstein-Barr toxins. Raspberries helps restore the nervous system which is a result of Epstein-Barr. Fennel, that's another one. Fennel juice, you take the bulbs and you juice them. That helps clean up, clean Epstein-Barr of the system. Ginger is another one. Supplements to kill off and lower the load, knock the viral load over time. Silver hydrosol. So silver hydrosol, you know, you get the best one on the market and you take a little bit, a little bit at a time. That's a great one. Zinc. Having enough zinc, the reason why Epstein-Barr has done so much damage to begin with is because most of us have a severe zinc deficiency. There's no zinc left, barely left in food anymore. It's been like this for a century. And this is another reason why Epstein-Barr is kind of grabbing a hold. You build your zinc reserves up long term and you're going to be in a better place. B12, especially the one I talk about, the adenosilcobalamin, that B12 restores nervous systems. So you lose your symptoms resulted from Epstein-Barr. Lemon balm, incredible EBV killer, Epstein-Barr killer. Builds up the immune system, knocks EBV, EBV out. Selenium protects the nervous system. Spirulina 
helps pull metals away from Epstein-Barr, and it's antiviral. Red marine algae, that's a powerful antiviral, too. Kills off EBV, Epstein-Barr. Monolaurin breaks down Epstein-Barr, breaks it down, pushes it out of the body. Very important. L-lysine. L-lysine. Someone may say, well, I've taken L-lysine before. No, you have to take it. You have to take a decent amount of it. What I suggest is, you, you know, you, you take the supplements I'm talking about, meaning you take them to your practitioner. You take them to your doctor. You take everything I'm saying. You can take it to your practitioner. You can take it to your healer. You can take it to your doctor and say, you know, I, I want to take this or that. And you have your, you have your, your doctor, your, your naturopath or your functional medicine doctor, plug, plug the wires in and put the light bulb on top and just, and get, get active with you and start helping. Cause if you're on enough L-lysine, the differences occur. Licorice root, licorice root tea or a high quality licorice root product is incredible for knocking down Epstein-Barr. But a lot of people are afraid of uh, licorice because of certain things, you know, there's meaning because of rumors or something. It's another thing too, is is losing fear over some of the things, some of the rumors or the myths or the, the fads and trends that kind of go in the wrong direction. 5-MTHF, methylfolate, that one's a great one for Epstein-Barr. And vitamin C, vitamin C every single day. You know, the highest quality vitamin C you can find. You can talk to your practitioner. You know, that's important. Or, you know, or... Or just you may have a vitamin C you already you're already comfortable with, and you use it. It just breaks apart Epstein Barr and pushes it out of the system. Now, some people say, "Well, wait a minute. Can Epstein Barr really go away? Can we do something about it? Does it go away? It can. Can we heal? Can you kill off Epstein Barr? You can kill off ninety percent of it and regain your life, and leave some in." And this is interesting. You don't want it all gone. You want a little bit left. It prevents you from getting another variety of Epstein-Barr. It prevents you from catching another variety of mononucleosis caused by a different variety of Epstein-Barr. So having a little bit of your own in is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. But you want to knock down as much as you can, and you gain your life, and you gain control, and you get your life back. And you can with Epstein-Barr. I've watched it. I've seen it. I've seen hundreds do it. I have people here who live 30 years now, completely free from every symptom I mentioned. And they're in their, their 70s. They're in their 80s. I have people in that condition where they're like gardening every day. They're exercising. They do what they want. And they were tragically sick 30 years ago. So, yes, the hope is there. You keep the faith. You can heal. You can move forward. Everybody deserves to heal. You have a God-given right to heal. That's your right. You own that right. It exists. And you can heal and you can move forward. And you have to understand, this is not your fault that you even have symptoms. It's not your fault that you've even been ill or had these conditions or struggled with it. You didn't create it. It's not your fault. You're a good person. You know, you didn't. this is not karma. This isn't karma. And you didn't deserve to be sick in this lifetime right now. You didn't create this problem that you have right now with Epstein-Barr. This is a virus that's been around. This is a virus that's been around. It's not being acknowledged. It's been here in family lines. Our family lines can, you know, have it. This is, this is serious. I mean, our great-grandparents have it, our grandparents, and it gets passed on down the line, and there's things you can do about it and heal. 
And when you know about it and you understand about it, it weakens it. See, see, knowing the truth, that's how you win and it breaks down and it cleans up and you can push it out of your life and push it out of your system. When it's mysterious and nobody knows what's going on and you're just sitting there with symptoms and you're going to doctor to doctor, it's harder to get through it. It's harder to heal. But the, but the tide has changed now. It's changed. This is your time to move forward with this and all the symptoms you've had. This is your time and your life right now. And everything that you've suffered from is valuable and not wasted. If you've suffered for years, it's valuable. It's worth its weight in gold, liquid gold, because it's information you've learned. It's experiences you've experienced. It's pushed you to different levels of, of spiritual levels. It's pushed you into different areas of your life that you wouldn't achieve, different achievements that you would have never done. So when we get challenged by this, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. We just don't want to have it anymore. We don't want to have the symptoms anymore. We want to heal. We don't want that you know, severe fatigue and all the symptoms that I mentioned before. We can move forward. You're a good person, and you have every right to heal. So you need to understand that. It's, it's more than, it's more than time for you right now.